So we are starting this new series today. Again, through the summer, we, we studied our way through the book of Romans. And so we finished that up last week, and, and we're starting this new series today on the words of Jesus, the Red Letter Challenge. And again, this is a, a challenge for us over the next six weeks as we focus on the words of Jesus. And they said, we've been talking about it for a while, we're, we're, and it's here. We are starting again today, like I said, on our social media post is day zero. Okay? And so we're going to be walking through this um, as we walk together as a church and focusing on the words of Jesus. Again, the, the words that are read in our Bible. Again, through the next 40 days, we have the opportunity to have, um, to have a great impact on our church. And, and not just on our church, but on our own faith and our own hearts and, and, and on our community. Okay? Because the words of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, um, as we focus on those, it gives us the opportunity not just to grow in our own faith, because it will grow your faith. It will stretch you out of your comfort zone. Okay, but also as we see the heart of who God is and, and, and through the teachings of Jesus that, that not only will it push us out of our comfort zone within ourselves and our own faith, but it's going to push us outside of ourselves. Okay, because God in his love that we realize through Jesus is not focused, it's not inward focused, it is outward focused. Again, and, and my hope and prayer for this series is not just for our church, but also that our church can communicate and show the love of Christ in our community, and in our valley. Again, I believe 100% that God placed us right here on the top of the hill, right off the freeway, where everybody drives by us multiple times a day and sees us to be a shining beacon of his love and his light in this community and in this valley. And so as we enter into this challenge, right, is, is I have big expectations, and I hope you do too, but as we focus on the words of Jesus, know that it's going to be challenging, right? He's going to push us out of our comfort zone, and I hope that we'll rise to that challenge. Okay, as we think about that, again, I just as we start in that, as we focus on the words of Jesus, right, knowing that, um, again, Jesus said some hard stuff. He taught some, some, some hard teachings, okay, so that, and some of those teachings upset as many people as it encouraged, okay, because some people don't want to be pushed outside of their comfort zone. But again, one of the reasons why it's uncomfortable is because we realize that some of the, the things that he teaches us to do are hard, okay? They're, they're stretching. And, and, and things that if I try to do it on my, by myself and my own power, I'm going to mess it up, okay? Because I, I don't have the same love that God has for me. I wish I did. I, I want to I have that same love, but I got to learn from God and how to love that way. But I don't have the same heart for the people that, that God does, right? My sinful nature is naturally selfish, and I want to be inward focused, and yet God teaches me to, to focus outwardly, right? As, as we think about this, realizing that, that I'm really good at messing up my life, right? And if I try to do any of these things that Jesus teaches on my own or on my own power, I'm going to mess it up, right? And so many times, like I said, we, we start out with our faith, not just, we start out with the faith, not just our faith. We start out with everything, with, with big enthusiasm and, and huge motivation and, and high expectations. And we start out with that. And I don't know about you, but I'm really good at starting things, right? I start with these big expectations and, and all kinds of motivation and get really excited. I'm not so good at finishing stuff. Right? Because over time when I realize it's hard, when I, the first time I mess up, the first time I struggle, it's, I, I, kinda, I tend to pull back. 
a little bit. Right? And, and, and I go to that point to where I'm like, you know what? I wasn't completely successful, but I did okay. Right? Now, now you know, okay is pretty good. And, and when I get to that point, I go, okay, it's easy to fall into the trap of feeling like that okay is okay. Right? That just okay is okay. That, that you know, I, I, I wasn't completely successful. I wasn't, it wasn't great. But it was okay, and I'm just going to say, well, okay is good enough. Hey, now, now, when it comes to my faith, I don't want okay to be good enough. Right? Because we, we all know that okay is really not that good. Hey, as you think about this concept and think about even our faith and on the challenge that we're going to look at through the words of Jesus through these next several weeks, I want to challenge us to, to think and, and to know that okay is not okay. Okay, when, when, as I was thinking about this, the, there's, uh, I don't know if you've seen these commercials, there's an AT&T marketing campaign that's been out recently. Okay, now, uh, again, I, I don't want to say anything about AT&T, and if you have it, that's great. If you don't, that's fine, right? I'm not promoting AT&T, but the marketing genius behind this is, is great because the concept, right, is they, they show us these through their commercials about situations where okay is not okay. Okay, now there's several different ones. They put in all kinds of different humor situations, but this morning as we start out, I'm thinking about this concept of, of is okay okay? Okay, I, I want to show you one of my favorites out of this marketing campaign. Again, I'm not promoting AT&T. Hey, that's not the point, but it is an AT&T commercial. But let's, let's watch again this, uh, this, this short clip that reminds us of this concept. Everybody all set? Oh, any recommendations? The salmon roll's okay. Just okay? Is it fresh? Sort of. The chef had it this morning. Unfortunately, he went home sick, but he left instructions with Kyle. This fish is raw. Do we need a minute? Yes. yes. Just okay is not okay, especially when it comes to your network. AT&T is America's best wireless network according to America's biggest test. Now with 5G evolution, the first step to 5G. More for your thing. That's our thing. So again, I, I'm not promoting a cell phone company if you have AT&T, great, but the point is let's think about this concept. Okay is not okay, right? Whether we're talking about the salmon, right, that's just okay, or we're talking about our faith, okay is not okay. Okay, but yet it's so easy for us to, to just sit back in our faith, and when things get hard, when we're in the midst of a valley, when, when we're not sure how good we're doing, we just say in our own hearts, in our own minds, whether it's our faith or anything else, that, you know what, okay is just going to be okay. Many times as followers of Jesus, we have good intentions, but yet we completely miss out on the opportunities that Jesus has for us. If we just decide in our minds and our hearts that being okay in my faith is okay, then we are missing the mark. Because God has not called us to be okay. Because when it comes to our faith, we are supposed to be all in. We're not supposed to hold anything back. In fact, think about when you first found Christ and that motivation and excitement and that joy that you had and thinking like, wow, I'm experiencing the love of God maybe that I've never experienced before. And, and I see the Bible in ways that I've never seen it before. And, and we had, get that excitement and that motivation and that joy. And, 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 and every day we wake up with that, but yet it starts to fade over time to where we've just relocated that okay is okay. And, and as we start on the words of Jesus today, 
Hey, I, I want to give us the challenge of saying, let's, as a church, as Jesus' people, let's say, I'm not going to be okay with my faith just being okay anymore. I want to go all in. And maybe you've never gone all in with God before, but that's a part of the challenge to say, can you go all in for the next six weeks and see what happens? Because you know what the truth is? If you go all in and you don't like it, you can always go back to okay. So I want to challenge you to say for the next six weeks, go all in with your faith. Go all in with your commitment. Let's take the words of Jesus as we study them and let's take them seriously. And let's go all in. Okay, we're going to start this morning with Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. As we focus on the first words of Jesus of this series, okay, we're going to see um, that Jesus shows us what all in looks like. Okay, Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start at verse 35. If you have your own Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 9. If you don't have your own Bible, there are Bibles uh, that you're welcome to use in the seats you can grab one of those and notice the page number again of this passage is on the outline for you, or you can find it in those Bibles. So let's start with Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35, where it says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. You know, as we look at these words of Jesus, the situation that Jesus is in with his disciples, is, is here in this passage, Jesus shows us what all in looks like. Again, Jesus shows, leads by example. He does it here. And so, again, what, what does Jesus do that we can follow, right, to be all in in our faith? Okay, the first thing that Jesus is doing here in this passage in verse 35 is that Jesus is sharing the good news. Okay, he's, he's traveling around to these different towns and villages, and he's sharing the good news. Now again, what is, what's the good news? He, again, he's teaching about the kingdom of God, the gospel message, the fact that, that God loves this world, that he wants to save the world, that he sent the Messiah to this earth to save the world. That is the good news, that God loves you and wants to save you. It is the gospel message. Now again, Jesus, as we see, is teaching this, and it says he's teaching about the kingdom, about this bigger teaching. In fact, the 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 literal translation of the Greek word that for gospel is good news. Okay, because it is good news that God loves you, sends his Messiah to the earth to, to live a sinless life, to die on a cross, to rise again on the third day, to pay your sin debt so that you can be saved. That is not just good news. That is great news. And Jesus was sharing it with all these towns and all these villages as well as the disciples that were with him, that he called and were traveling around with him all of this time. Jesus was sharing the gospel message. Okay, then we see not only, though, did Jesus share the truth, okay, but he also engaged in people's lives. Okay, it says that he walked, not only was he teaching them, right, and, and again, forecasting what he's about to do on the cross, okay, but he also engaged in their lives. 
Okay, Jesus was not like the other religious leaders of that time that would walk onto their pedestal and their stage and they would do their teachings and they would drop the mic and walk off. No, Jesus interacted and engaged with people in their lives. It says that he was with them. He healed them. He touched them. He prayed with them. Jesus engaged deeply into their lives. He got involved. But he didn't just teach and move on to the next town. Right? He in truly engaged in their life. Again, when, when we see not this, this engagement and, and how he, that was what truly changed people's lives as he lived out the good news with them. Then we see not only did, did he share the good news and engage in their lives, but Jesus also genuinely cared and had compassion for them. He genuinely cared. As we say in this passage, right, he says, I, he looked at them and he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were confused. They were, they were wandering. They, they didn't have direction. And, and that broke his heart. He genuinely cared. Now, in our world, it's, it's easy to fake caring. In fact, I would say most of the interactions we have with people on a daily basis are fake. They're not genuine. Again, we all have those people and we go through, right? You run into people at the grocery store or you even see them at church or you have that coworker, right? They, and when we go and we see those people and, and they say, you know, somebody asks you like, oh, how's life going? And, and we fake it and say good. When most of the time that's not true. Okay, now, if someone truly genuinely cares for you, and, and I hope you have these people in your life, when, when you tell them that fake answer and they ask how things are going and you say that the things are good and they can look at you and say, I don't believe you. I can tell you're not telling me the truth. What's really going on? Right, that's when people can genuinely care. Now, Jesus genuinely cared about these people, and he had compassion for them, and he saw, again, what they needed in their life. And then we see, uh, as he has this compassion and this, this care for them, then we see the last thing that he does, and, and it comes through in his teaching and the prayer that, that he gives the disciples, is that we see that Jesus relied on divine power. It was not on his, his human power at all. He was not asking the disciples or anybody else to, to do anything on their own. Right? He, he had told them to call in the power of God. God is the God of the harvest. He is the one that saves. He is the one that changes life. He's the one that transforms. He's the one that loves in a way that we cannot love until we experience his love ourselves. It is God's power, that divine power that Jesus was calling on and resting on and used in his ministry on earth, right? And, and through these things, he, he shows us what it means to be all in in our faith, right? That we are sharing the good news with people, right? That, that, we, that we engage in people's lives, we genuinely care about others, and we tap into God's divine power, not on our power or our will, but his. Because if it's on my power, I will mess it up. I'm good at messing up my own life, and I don't want to mess up yours too. It's not my power, but God's, right? I'm good at shrinking back and, and feeling like okay is okay in my faith, and God is inviting us to go all in. And he leads the way. Right? And Jesus shows us what all in looks like. 
Now, before we move on from this passage, I want to focus on these last two verses, verses 37 and 38. Okay, where Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Okay, now as, as we look at this passage and even these verses, okay, is that Jesus does here what Jesus does often in his teachings. Okay, is Jesus is teaching in a parable. Okay, now what a parable is means that the things in the story represent something bigger. They're, it's not really what the story is about. It's, it's about a concept and a situation that's bigger than the story. Okay, and, and all these different aspects, um, you know, represent something else. That's what a parable is, right? As he's teaching this concept. Okay, now in this parable, okay, again, what is the harvest? The harvest is not, is not grain, it's not fruit. The harvest is souls. It is people. Okay, he's saying the harvest, as far as people being saved, finding Christ, right? Jo- joining the journey of faith, engaging, going all in with God. The harvest is people. And notice he says, he says, the harvest is great. Right, again, the fields is, are the, is the world. Okay, and, and again, the community, your family, your coworkers, your, uh, this, uh, the church, I mean, the, the fields are ripe for harvest. Okay, and, and as we think about this parable and realize, right, again, he's saying that, that, that God is the Lord of the harvest. It's by his power that people are saved. That, that the, the climate is right for people to be saved. In fact, they're looking for God. Okay, and for God's power to be unleashed in their lives. But notice though, I want to highlight what does Jesus pray for in this situation? He doesn't pray for the lost souls. He doesn't even pray for the culture of the world. Because those are all there. Those are all ready. What does he focus on? What does he pray for? He prays for the workers. Because what is lacking in this parable? Workers. Again, who are the workers in this parable? It's us. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you are a follower of him, you are a worker in this parable. Again, what's missing? What does Jesus pray for here? Again, it's not, it's not the world or the culture. It's not for, the, for the, the fields to be ready to harvest. It's not even for the souls that are lost. No, he prays for the worker. He prays for me and he prays for you. Right? And as he sets the example to the disciples about what all in looks like, and then he says, now you've got to pray for, for, for you and for every other believer to go all in just like I'm doing, because that's what's missing. And as we look at God's plan, again, what is God's plan to save the world? Is plan A is us to, to do everything that Jesus does in this passage, to share the good news, to to, to engage in people's lives, to genuinely care about people, and to rely on his divine power. Right? And Jesus challenges his disciples in that context and everybody who came after them, which includes all of us, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And he invites us to go all in with our faith because the fact is that we are broken, we are sinners. And if, if we take a moment and honestly reflect on how we are doing, representing Jesus in this world, is we are failing. And Jesus, again, prays for the workers because, 
And it's not just us, but I think through that, like that is the part that is missing. Right, that was true for the disciples then, it's true for us now. Again, if we truly reflect on how good am I being at representing Jesus in this world, I've not always represented him well. I've, I've gone to the moment in time when I feel like that and decided in my life and in my faith that okay is okay. And Jesus is calling us to something more. Again, if Jesus is known for grace, which is getting the free gift that you don't deserve, and as Christians we're known for judgment, which is getting what you do deserve, then we have miserably failed. By definition, judgment and grace are opposites. And therefore, we have missed the mark as the workers. If Jesus is known for unity and we are known for division, we have missed the mark. If Jesus is known for his good works and we are known for our hypocrisy, we have missed the mark. And this red letter challenge is all about the desire for us to truly represent the real Jesus. If we can live the right expression of who Jesus is and what he calls us to do and to go all in in our faith and to truly love people with the love that he loves us, that then we will not be okay with being okay. Because if you really think about Jesus, right, uh, Jesus, who would not fall in love with a loving, kind, gracious, merciful God? But yet we have changed the picture of what we're telling people that Jesus is by our lives. Somewhere, even in our good intentions, we have missed the mark and we've done it because we've said, okay is okay when it comes to my faith. So as we, as we can humbly think about that and think about the challenge that Jesus gives the disciples and, and gives us as his workers, right, we are then kind of forced to ask the question, as a follower of Jesus, am I shooting at the right targets? As a follower of Jesus, am I shooting at the right target? Because I can hit the target, I can be 100% successful in what I want to do, but if it's on the wrong target, then it's completely worthless. As we think about the right targets, we think about, about are we hitting the right targets, I want to share with you a story about one of the best target shooters, some believe, ever. His name was Matthew Emmons. Okay, Matthew Emmons was a rifle target shooter. He, he, he was arguably one of the best ever. He, he competed in the early 2000s, and um, he went to the Olympics as a sharpshooter in 2004 when it was hosted in Athens. Again, his name was Matthew Emmons. He was far and away the best shooter in the world. Some said he was the best shooter that has ever lived. And that year, uh, the question was not who was going to win the gold medal, but who would take the silver and the bronze, because everyone knew that Matt Emmons was going to take home the gold. Rifle shooters are trained to fire between their heartbeats. Okay, they try to slow their heartbeat down as much as possible and fire in between those, those heartbeats to be more accurate. Medals are literally won and lost by millimeters. 
Going into his final shot in the 2004 Olympics, Emmons was in first place by a mile, and all he needed to do to win the gold was simply hit the target. Not a bullseye, literally just hit the target. Which for many of us in this room wouldn't even be a problem. But for the greatest shooter in the world, it would be a piece of cake. It's a sport where top competitors are expected to be so accurate that they have a, they have a hard time believing that they could ever actually miss. So with one bullet left to shoot, Matt Emmons needed to score a 7.2 to win his second gold medal of the Olympic Games. On his first nine shots in the finals, Emmons' lowest score was a 9.3. So he took careful aim, he fired, and sure enough, a bullseye for the American. He did it, except for one small fact. He actually shot the wrong target. One lane over, which in the sport is known as a crossfire. And his score in the final round was zero. And as this happened, this was the, the Associated Press picture of him after the shot. Okay, as he stands there in disbelief at what just happened. Okay, now afterwards in the press conference, he said that he felt confident going into the last shot. In fact, he was so confident, he was more concerned about calming himself down than focusing on the target. And the last time that he had crossfired in competition was seven years before that day. And in that, with that one bullet, he went from first place to eighth place and didn't even get a medal. So why do I tell you this story? Okay, because Matthew Emmons was literally the greatest shooter in the world. But if we don't know what we're shooting for, if we're focused on the wrong target, it doesn't matter. If you shoot, if you shoot out or focus on the wrong thing, you will never hit what you need to hit. And when it comes to our faith, if we are focused on the wrong things, if we get to the point where we are okay with being okay, then we will never hit the right targets. If the targets that we are hitting are judgmental, divisive, hypocrisy, bigotry, racism, out of touch, old fashioned and boring, then we clearly are not aiming at the right targets that Jesus set out for us. And everything that I just listed is what most of the world thinks about Christians. Which means we are shooting at the wrong targets. There's so much noise in our world that even in our faith, there are so many answers for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So how do we know and trust what to do? Even people that have been in the faith for decades can still struggle with practically knowing what it means to follow Jesus on a daily basis and focus on the right targets. So how do we know what to aim for? How do we know what to aim for? Here's the answer to the question. If Jesus Christ is our example, if Jesus Christ is our goal, 
If Jesus Christ is our target, then we are aiming at the right thing. If Jesus Christ is our target, we are aiming at the right thing. You know, as we realize that and as we focus on the words of Jesus, again, to ask, am I shooting at the right targets in my life? How am I going to know? Well, is it, am I focused on Jesus? Am I following his example? Am I going all in with my faith? Right, we look at our vision and mission as a church of joining the journey. Right, that's why our core value, number one, is that Jesus is the destination of our journey. He is our target. He is our example to follow. And if we are engaging in our journey of faith, then I will be more like Christ tomorrow than I am today. And as we focus on his words, can we truly say that he is what we are shooting at? Will we follow his example and go all in? Again, what does that practically look like? Okay, Jesus answers us this question in one of the closing thoughts in the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to read Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Matthew 7, starting at verse 24, where Jesus says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and, and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Again, Jesus is, is challenging us to say, what is your life built on? Is it built on the rock of Christ or is it on sand, anything other than God? Because this teaching, once again, is a parable, right? The rock stands for the truth of who God is and the example that he gives us to follow. So again, as we say, how do I know if my life is built on the rock? Because if my life is built on the rock, then when I'm walking through the valley, it won't crumble. Right? When the storms of life happen, I can make it through to the other side. But if my life is built on anything other than God, it will all crumble. Again, Jesus gives us the next step of this teaching. Right? So how do I build my life on the rock? Okay, in Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus replied, But even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Meaning you actually do what he tells us to do. Right? I don't just hear it and move on, but, but I follow through. I, I, I actually take the step that God tells me to take. I actually do it. I go all in. And that's the big idea. In order to change the picture that we are giving of Jesus, we are going to have to take Jesus' words, the ones that are written in the red letters in our Bibles, and actually do them. Literally, put them into practice. And that's the very unoriginal yet revolutionary idea that we as the followers of Jesus, if we actually did it, would change this world. Because the fields are ripe for harvest. But Jesus prays for the workers. 
Most of what Jesus teaches, he gets very practical. Okay, and all of his teachings on how do we really live out and go all in our faith can be summed up into five different principles or targets that Jesus teaches us. And that's what we're going to cover through the next five weeks in this series. Okay, so I'm going to give you the entire series right now. So now I encourage you to still come back because we're going to dive deeper in each of these. Okay, but Jesus, like I said, spent most of his time talking about these five different principles. Principle number one is being. Being. So many times Jesus talks about the importance of spending time and just being with him. Before he invites us to do anything for him or through him or in his name, he invites us into a relationship with him. And our relationship with him will determine how effective we are at actually doing the things that he asks us to do. It starts with being God's child receiving him as our savior, joining the journey of faith, and being a follower of Jesus. So next week, we're going to dive into that. The next week, the second principle is forgiving. So many of us struggle with receiving God's forgiveness. Not just for forgiving others, but for forgiving ourselves. To truly represent Jesus in this world, we have a great we need to have a great understanding of God's grace in our lives and then extend that grace to other people. So the next week, we'll talk about forgiving. The week after that, principle number three is serving. After spending time being with God and receiving his forgiveness, now we are motivated to go all in and to stay all in. After all he's done for me, I now want to serve him. Again, I don't do good works to earn my salvation, but because of my salvation. I want to get out into the community to help others in need, to love my neighbors, to do everything that Jesus modeled, and to serve. Not just serve within the walls of this church, but to serve in our community and in our world. And then the next attribute is we're going to focus on giving. Okay, giving. Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven more than any other topic in his teaching. You know what was number two? Money and generosity and the condition of our hearts and where we put our faith. Again, I found as we study the words of Jesus that it's nearly impossible to be a stingy Christian, right? Because God is incredibly generous. And if we are all in as his followers, we will also be generous. And then the last attribute that we're going to study is going. It's no coincidence that many of Jesus' last words in each of the gospels and even the last command he gives in the book of Acts before he ascends to all of his followers is not just to be his hands and feet in the community, but also to be his mouthpiece, to share the good news, to pass on the baton of faith. We're going to go and we're going to tell others the good news and follow the example that Jesus had, right, of telling everybody that he died on a cross for their sins to forgive them, right, and that he wants to do the same for them that he has done for me. So being, forgiving, serving, giving, and going, these are the five targets, the five principles that characterize a Jesus follower, and they are the targets we should be shooting at. So as we think and rise to this challenge, I hope that we'll realize that by putting God's words into practice 
you will find the life that God has made for you. Because Jesus told us, right, that if we follow his truth, that his truth will set us free. He also told us in another place, right, that he came not just to give us life, but life to the full or life in abundance. And if we follow his teachings and truly go all in with our faith, we will experience that freedom and that life, right, that Jesus promises us if we do what he says and follow his example of what it means to be all in. Now, as we're faced with this challenge, okay, there's just two things I want to just quickly remind you of as we face this challenge. Okay, number one is, is make sure that you invite Jesus into your red letter challenge. Because again, it's not about my power. It's not about your power. It's not about even any human power at all. It's about the power of Jesus, the, the, the divine power. Okay, and if you try to do any of this stuff on yourself for your own motivation, on your own power, you will fail. You have to do it with God. And it starts by joining the journey of faith, by inviting him into your life, confessing your sins, right, being, receiving grace, right, and inviting him in and being saved and being a committed follower of Jesus. Okay, in John 1, 14, it says, So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. We serve a God and we follow a God that knows what it means to be human because Jesus was sent to earth by God the Father and he put on flesh and he experienced everything that we experience as a human. And yet he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We see his glory. Again, it is by his power and we do invite him and receive him into our life. That is the first step of this journey and of this challenge. And then secondly, and Jesus is a part of our life, we also need to invite others into our red letter challenge. Again, we're all engaging into this together, right? Because again, as, as a single person, even with God's power, is that we are still tempted to go back and to say that okay is okay when we aren't 100% successful with our first try. Okay, which is why we need each other. Okay, and in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, with his wisdom, tells us okay, that a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. And that's why we are stepping into this challenge to go all into our faith and to live out the words of Jesus together as a church family, because we need each other. Right? We need to stand back to back and conquer and get through the valley and to see Jesus not just change our lives, but everybody's lives around us. Because the fields are ripe for harvest. And Jesus needs his workers to step up and go all in. I can think of no greater cause than, than to live for the cause of Jesus. After all he has done for us, for forgiving our sins, for taking over our life, for saving us, there's nothing that we should rather do more than to follow Jesus and help others find him, to go all in with our faith. And then we can represent the real Jesus. Right? We can go out with good intentions and, and incredible motivation and hit the right 
targets. And today, as we conclude this, this message and as we rise to the challenge, I want to look at the words and advice of James. Okay, James, the brother of Jesus, tells us this. He says, Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Humbly accept the word of God that has been planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. James 1, verses 22, or 21 and 22. What's the first step in a challenge? The first step in our journey is to receive Christ as our Savior. Get rid of the filth and evil in your life. Accept Christ in your life. What's step two? To do what he tells us to do. To go all in. Right? And not be okay with my faith being okay. I hope that over these next six weeks, as a church, we can rise to the challenge that Jesus gives us as he teaches us through all of these attributes. Right? And we can truly live this out in our life. Lord God, that's our prayer today, God. That we find freedom. God, that the walls in our lives and our hearts will fall. God, that by your red letters, we will be saved. We will be changed. And those around us will be saved and changed as well as we represent who you really are in our lives. God, help us to resolve that okay is not going to be okay in my faith. God, that I'm going to go all in. God, we are expecting to see your power. God, your power to save, your power to transform and to change. And we pray, Lord, that as we go through this week, God, that we would take the steps we need to take in our lives. God, to represent who you really are in our own life and in all those around us that see us and see you through us. Guide us as we go. Lord, help us to represent the real you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.